everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Hoka NAZ Elite Midday Treat Podcast. I am Coach Ben Rosario, but today I will be serving as host for our podcast and interviewing our normal host, Eric Sensiman, along with his good friend, Jim Walmsley. You probably know Jim or at least have heard of Jim. Uh, he is one of the best ultra runners in the entire world. He and Eric will be running the very famous Western States 100 in a couple of weeks, less than a couple of weeks, and I was able to sit down with them about uh, 12 or so days out from the race, and we certainly talked about Western States, but we also talked about ultra running in general, uh, the different mindset uh, that it takes, um, and then we talked about the crossover uh, appeal and you know what marathoners might make good ultra runners and what it might mean for Jim to step down from ultra and back into the shorter distance world and try a half marathon or a marathon and maybe even running at the Olympic trials. Um, those are some of the topics that are often discussed on message boards and Twitter and things like that. And, and we were able to actually just ask Jim about them and uh, he gave us some really candid answers and it was personally for me a super interesting hour. So Without further ado, uh, welcome to the podcast, Eric Sensiman and Jim Walmsley. Here we go. All right, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite Podcast. We're switching it up today, and uh, Eric Sensiman, who's usually our uh, fine host, is actually going to be a guest today, and I'll serve... Um, as host and Jim Walmsley is our other guest. Uh, so Jim uh, represents Hoka One One on the trails in the ultra world. If if you're watching and you're an ultra fan, you absolutely know who Jim is and you know who Eric is and you know who the Coconino Cowboys are. But maybe if you're uh, a fan of NAZ Elite and uh, the road marathon world and the track world, maybe you don't know as much about these guys. And so I think we have a cool kind of or I hope anyway, a cool kind of crossover audience today. And don't fear, if you're an ultra fan and you like the hardcore stuff, I promise we will get to that. <laughs> so just give me a minute to kind of introduce these guys and get the other half of the crowd sort of up to speed. And then we'll, we'll just dig in. Uh, these guys have the Western States 100 in less than two weeks, which is, uh, I mean, I'll let them explain, but it's it's... You could call it the pinnacle event uh, of the ultra world uh, every year uh, annually, and so and I got to go to it last year, which sort of kickstarted my fascination with ultra running, uh, which had already begun uh, living in Flagstaff and knowing some of these guys. And so I want to get into all of that, and I promise it's super interesting stuff. Again, if you're not uh, someone who's familiar with the ultra world, it's really uh, quite interesting and very super cool. So. Um, what I wanted to do was kind of, again, for the people who may not be as familiar with these two, uh, just sort of let them introduce themselves a little bit, uh, and then we'll dig into the world of ultra. So uh, maybe it'd be cool if Eric starts. Again, he's our host usually, and maybe That's you right. don't know that much about him. If you've watched our pods, he just asks all these great questions, <laughs> but he doesn't get to talk about himself. So um, maybe take us through your journey into ultra, because it is a little bit of a different journey, yeah. and then what brought you to flag. Sure, sure. Well, I want to start by asking, have I been promoted or relegated? Yeah, that, not well, now that you're in charge. I'm not, you know, I think uh, it's a parallel move. <laughs> it's a parallel move. I like that. Um, right. So I, I got started in uh, ultra running in 2011, seven years ago now. 
Um, I had a brief, brief foray into, uh, I suppose, the road marathons, but it was more um, pedestrian than, than elite. Uh, my first marathon was 337. That was my debut. Okay. Uh, got it down to 236. Um, but knocked, knocked an hour off. That's knocked an bad. hour off, yeah. I should, uh, yeah, it'd be nice. In my head, when I started marathoning, I, you know, I was knocking oh, yeah. off big chunks of time, and I was like, I just got to keep doing this. I'll yeah. be running 218 in no time. That didn't quite happen. But uh, I, I got into ultras partly because I wasn't as competitive um, on the roads and uh, starting to find a little bit of success here after <laughs> quite a while, six, seven years. So um, I, I won the JFK 50 mile last year. Uh, in 2017. Uh, Jim here is a three-time winner. He won the three mm -hmm. previous editions. Um, yeah, so if you've won JFK, there's a lot of possibilities. That's the way I look at it. Uh, yeah, trajectory is up. And then uh, I raced my, my way into uh, Western States this year by finishing fourth at the Lake Sonoma 50 mile um, in April. And that's, yeah, kind of a, a barn burner, fast, uh, you know, mid-distance ultra, 50 miles kind of mid-distance for the ultra scene. And um, so I'll be lining up in, uh, in Squaw here in a couple <clears> weeks. But yeah, um, I came from like a... a <laughs> from I played football in high school. I found running in college, um, so started later in life, and uh, I think that's what Ben means in terms of um, maybe a non-traditional introduction to the to the sport. But uh, it's cool because you know you can just be a 195 pound dude who likes to like uh, weightlift, and <laughs> after uh, eight years, you can be a decent ultra runner. So it's uh, yeah, that's kind of neat. And Jim here, uh, I'll let him introduce himself, but uh, again, if, you, if you're familiar with the ultra world, you, you definitely know the name Jim Walmsley. He's become one of the more recognizable figures in the sport worldwide, globally. Um, again, represents Hoka One One, as, as do we at NAZ Elite, so he's kind of a part of the family. Um, and he's certainly become uh, a big figure here in Flagstaff over the last few years as he's uh, rose, uh, arisen, I should say, to, to such great heights in, in the ultra world. So, But your uh, path to ultra running, yeah. I, I hesitate to say it's more traditional because in a lot of ways... There's nothing traditional about the ultra growth, you know. It, yeah. it's, it, it's very unique and attracts mm. all sorts of different personalities yeah. and backgrounds. But um, at least uh, if you're watching and you're part of the the marathon world, I think it's uh, maybe a little bit more traditional path as you yeah. as you would uh, recognize it. So talk a little bit about your history yeah, so and how you got into it. I'm I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona, so two hours south of Flag. Uh, ran in high school and then ran at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs for college up till 2012 when I graduated. And then uh, I kind of had a couple years in the Air Force where just kind of running pretty casually for, I guess, most post-collegiates kind of flirt with the really fit non-runners, I guess, at that point. Um, and then ended up getting out of the Air Force in 2015 and kind of deciding if I wanted to go back to school, get a real job or just do something else and I decided uh, running was really making me happy and I wanted, I was just learning about this ultra trial world that exists out there as a runner that just did track and cross country in high school and college. I didn't know much about it. I probably was in the majority of that community that just kind of pokes fun at the eight, <laughs> 10 minute miles and just like these guys, <laughs> anyone, anyone can shuffle eight minute miles for a hundred miles like but in reality it's it's become uh, a lot more complicated than that as I've gotten into it and 
we're not just jogging on a track, we're not just jogging on a road. Uh, we get quite the amazing um, terrain to run over and mountain passes and mountain tops. And for me, I've really enjoyed the process of the training. It's much more aerobic based for me, less workout intense, which I found more health, consistent health with that. And um, yeah, I'm just really enjoying where it's taken me now. Yeah. Well, I want to get back to those uh, different paths and explore the different um, personality traits that seem to be common among ultra runners. Uh, again, because I think one of the cool things about maybe this pod and the audience we have in this in this pod is there might be people out there thinking about getting into it, and maybe some of the things you guys will say and, and can bring to their attention might be that you know, light bulb moment for them to kind of give it a shot. But uh, I did want to, so we can get everybody excited, um, explain a little bit about Western States and have you guys kind of explain what a big deal it is. Again, I went last year, it was actually, so it's kind of like going to the Masters for your first golf <laughs> tournament ever or something, yeah. I imagine, um, because I had never really been to a, a true ultra race before and uh, the USA track champs were in Sacramento, so Myself and a couple of the athletes uh, shot on over to Auburn to watch Western States last year and watch Jim run, and it was really, it was pretty mind-blowing experience. So, um, I guess ex explain the Western States 100, um, and then maybe we'll discuss like the varying terrain and just the difficulty and, and why it's become so uh, popular. Yeah, well, I'd say we're two good people to to talk about this largely because Jim can talk about it from a perspective of racing it, having raced it twice. I haven't raced it, but I've crewed and paced twice. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have a little bit different perspectives. Um, from, I guess from my perspective, it, uh, I was asked this recently and I referred to, or people refer to Western States as like the Super Bowl yeah. of, uh, of ultra running. And what that means for ultra running is a little bit different from, uh, football, but like there's 1500 volunteers at the race yeah. um by just by way of example to tell you kind of the scale um and you have people there that are genuinely spectating like yeah. they're not there to crew anyone they're not yeah. there to base anyone they're out there to watch people run um so much more in line with yeah like a road marathon or something more mainstream um so it brings the sport kind of to to the the limelight um in a way that no other race really does it's just it's on a very big scale i guess is is the best way to, well, to kind of describe I, it, i'd interject that it's considered like the super bowl of north america of course right, yeah, right and right. then of <clears throat> trail ultra yeah um yeah, because yeah. that's fair it's definitely the biggest most prestigious one in the u.s and north america but on a global scale there's other really good races mm -hmm. um yep. utmb is probably considered a bigger ultra race and then it's definitely a bigger presentation for mm -hmm, sure mm -hmm. um and then comrades is kind of known as the the big road race yep. where it's just a huge festival um but what kind of also makes western states unique is there's a lot of hype there's a lot of build up and everybody are spe like everyone spends months just in our little world <laughs> speculating um yeah. what's gonna happen at western states this year who's gonna do what and so there's a lot of build-up to it, and people really tune into Western States much more so than a lot of the other races as a whole community. Well, and, you know, I think one thing that's attractive about it and interesting about it uh, to even the casual observer is just, and, and I understand that there's difficulty in every course, especially when you get a 100-mile race, there's, in and of itself, that's difficult. Right. But, but the terrain is really crazy because you're yeah. starting way up high, 
um, you know, there can be snow at the beginning of the race, and yet tens of miles later, it can be 95, 100 degrees or more as you get down to the very bottom of the course. Um, so just take take the take the listeners or, or the the viewers through the course a little bit. Yeah, I guess I'll start again. But to get back to what Jim said earlier, like you look at the terrain that we're running on very very different from what you know people would be familiar with who yeah. are coming from a track or a road background so just by way of example it starts at <clears throat> what about 6200 feet above sea level 6500 feet above sea level you get up to 8700 feet within yeah. the first five miles four and a half miles uh, so you're way up in the high country the low point on the course is less than a thousand feet above sea level i think it's about 500 uh so it's a net downhill course um you end up climbing almost 18,000 feet over the course of the the day or m more than a day in some people's case uh the course limits what 30 hours i think mm -hmm. um and then you descend you know 22 23,000 feet over that 100 mile distance so um you're going in and out of canyons uh yeah. which are getting very hot across but, rivers um, across across rivers yep jim uh jim's got some stories there um yeah so i'll let jim speak more to the course but yeah the the point being it's um it's much more extreme and, and i will ask real quick um <clears throat> is it one of the more challenging courses then overall or is it just the other things that you mentioned the hype and the tradition of the um you know how long it's been around et cetera, et cetera. It's i would say it attracts but... kind of on a pointy end of the field it it is because the amount of competitiveness that it has for the ultra sport um is there yeah combined with really hot conditions and then a lot of ways to fall into traps to make mistakes um essentially it's very tricky that way um just to run 100 miles is pretty tough <laughs> yeah, and and kind of yeah. kind of the harder the day you have out there the harder it becomes to yeah. A, like get across that distance yeah. but i think to directly answer the question it's hard to compare i yeah. think but yeah. like hard rock for example uh hard rock 100 it's running colorado and the san juan mountains has uh, is it thirty three thousand feet yeah. of climbing so thirty three thousand feet of descent yeah, yeah. yeah. and you're at high elevations low points seventy six hundred feet yeah. Yeah. yeah and you get up to 14 over fourteen thousand feet yeah um so it's difficult i suppose to yeah um to directly compare but it's uh it's not an easy one I think. yeah it's but then story. it's kind of a slippery slope of if you just get into um what's the hardest then yeah. there's these like torture races yeah uh, <laughs> that's when you get into like the netflix uh barclays marathon yeah sure um you get into the same race director has a race where essentially it's you can only do like a lap like maybe it's like an eight mile lap and you can only do it once every two hours like every time you have to set off with the same at the same time okay. so no matter what you can keep running the whole time if you want so a slow considerably slow runner can uh keep up with everyone but it limits the fast runner so he tries to make the variable who's toughest and oh, yeah, yeah. that race goes for like about 60 hours and people just they go for another lap and they go and it's just such a mine yeah um where maybe even by our standards ours is a little more less sickening and yeah. a little more realistic yeah yeah well and uh, again i swear i promise the uh, you know the ultra fans already know a lot of the stuff so it's a little boring <laughs> for them but 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 the the race began as a horse race western yeah. so they used to run 
uh, or ride horses through this entire 100, 100 mile course until uh, a quote unquote crazy guy tried to do it himself <clears throat> on foot. And then that's how Western States 100 started as a foot race. Am I? Yeah, yeah. it started as the Tevis Cup, and the Tevis Cup still overlaps still in a lot of ways yeah. with the Western States. They still run that race, I think, um, maybe a little, maybe August. It's later in the year, yeah. yeah. Um, and it started out where uh, Gordy Ainsley is the guy that's that started the it. Started, um, yeah. He basically had a horse that I think went limp or something, and he decided I wasn't going to run on. Like, he's he's a bigger, like, he's a Clydesdale himself. Yeah. <laughs> but he's also, like, probably a 230 marathoner Clydesdale guy. Yeah. Of, like, for his size, he moves real swiftly. Yeah. Uh, but he decided he was going to run with his horse one year. And then the next year he's like, I'm not even going to be <laughs> on a horse. Point. I'm going to run the race, my feet, like with my feet. And, yeah. um, then the legend was born there and it's technically the old the world's oldest hundred mile trail race in the world. Uh, yeah, very cool. Which adds to that. Prestige. I think the mystique is, yeah, yeah but sure. it is a, I guess, a imperial distance. So like, Europe's not going to create a 100-mile distance race. Yeah. Right. Um, they have, like, the Spartathlon. That's much further than that. But, um, yeah, so there's other history stuff. So it's easy to get wrapped up in the numbers on the surface. But as you get into the sport, you learn a lot about a lot of other history, old-timers running really fast, um, and other races that are just you never had heard of that are just yeah. as crazy just and just true. as amazing. Got it. Well, and that history, I think, is what a big part of the draw with Western States. Um, well, that, and, that, and that's my next question. Yeah. Why Western States for you guys? Yeah. So, so Jim and, and, and Eric are, you know, he, you mentioned the pointy end. You know, they're at the they're at the kind of the top level of their sport, the elite level, if you want to use that word. So, so akin to what our group is on the road marathon, half marathon, ten k kind of side. Um, and so they can choose where they go to race and i don't know exactly what goes into those choices so it'd be interesting for me to hear why western for you guys sure well i'll start with the comparison right so let's say you're a road marathoner and you're you're an elite same sort of category um or be probably better but yeah we'll just put it on oh, the heading of elite but you know let's say you run a 206 43 yeah. Right. So you're one of the um, best guys in the world. Yeah. yeah. And let's say that's the best time of the year. And yeah. so you're like, hey, I'm the best marathoner. And someone's like, well, actually, people have run under 205. And so you're like, well, yeah, but, you know, right now I'm the best. And they're like, yeah, but you're not the best um, because there's history. And it's a standardized distance. Yeah. Uh, the courses change, obviously. They're a little bit different. But you, in order to say that you're the best, period, you've got to run faster than anyone else ever has at that distance, right? Yeah. Um, I think something similar could be said, I think Jim would probably agree with me to some extent on this, but like for me, I want to run Western States because there were some badass dudes running ultras, you know, so it's more over the decades. Exactly. But like, yeah. you know, the course has changed a little bit over the years and everything else, but like you can look at a time from, I just saw the other day that this guy, Mike Morton ran 15 hours and 40 minutes in 1997. It's still like on the list of top time. I think it's top 20 still yeah. top 25. And, uh, that, that dude was incredible. Um, so, like, how do I compare to Mike Morton of 1997? Well, I can go run Western States, yeah. and I can find out. Yeah. Um, I think that's super cool because it, it, it expands the... It's not just about right now. It's not just about, you know, who you're racing against in the race. It's, it's much bigger than that, uh, which I find really appealing, so... Yeah. I would actually contradict that completely. <laughs> there uh, we go. So, I, like, from my well, background, I think you do choose for different reasons. Yeah, of from from my background, uh, track and 
I didn't really get into roads too much, but from a track perspective, the difference between a 359 or 358 miler and a 403 miler is night and day difference. Totally. They, they're not the same yeah. runner. They're not in the same shape. And then most people look at me like, that's four seconds. Like, yeah. that's the same thing. <clears throat> and really, it's like, they're not even in the same league, at least in that race. 100%. So one of the biggest draws about trail running to me is that it's more effort-based. It's not just comparing times. You're not defined by your Western States time ever. And one of the biggest things, especially with me attacking a course record like at Western States that I find is that like we're out there in the elements, doesn't matter what it is. And essentially, um, every year plays out different because of the elements yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. the favor, like you're going to have a big, big advantage if you have a really great day to go do it. Um, some of the most impressive times, if you're to only judge off of time, are completely forgotten if you only look at times. In reality, that's where a race like Western States has that history of like, it's not just about the times, it's about the Jim Kings and Jim Howards that were just just going after each other in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And it's just become like a folklore, but their times and on the course was has basically made it irrelevant to compare straight up nowadays. So sure. in my mind, it's actually quite the opposite. And I find that it's so effort-based and as a sport, any sport, you can really just see how people pour their heart and soul into the race. And a lot of passion comes through at this race because it's one of the races where it's a peak race for anyone that's in it. It's going to be your, your A race. And that's something that draws me. It's I used it early in my career as kind of a catapult to get myself on the map um, as someone that was really struggling with getting notoriety, getting attention from sponsors, everything. Um, I went and made, like, ran Western States with, like, everything I had, and it ended up being, like, a big um, story at the end. Um, and essentially, that kind of put me on the map in the sport and helped catapult me to where I am today and making a living out of it. Well, it's interesting that you would say what you said and you would say what you <laughs> said because, I mean, I'm just going to dig into some of the stuff that I had farther down the list, but uh, it makes sense to go into it now. So... I feel like a little, a little bit of an outsider perspective, but I feel, I felt like you took a lot of criticism uh, last year in particular for seemingly going after a fast time, even though you said just a second ago that you know you were more interested maybe in the competition and the win. So, you know, was am I am I right that that you were going after a time last year? And, and what yeah. did you what? Now with a year separated, a year, a year removed, because I remember looking at interviews afterward, and you were, you were kind of of the opinion, well, that's how I was going to do it. I went for it. I have no regrets. Has that changed? And and you know, well, how do you look at this year? I'd say that goes to course records. You want to be a course record holder, okay, for sure. Um, but you dig into the fourth fastest time, sixth fastest time, twentieth fastest time. Yeah, there's a lot more stories behind that. It's not, you can't just judge the performance list per se. But at the same time. If you're Western States, if you're Timothy Olsen and you hold the course record, you're the Western States yeah. course record. Like that top spot is still a pretty big deal. Um, as far as me running last year, I think I had mentioned this to Eric the other day of like, in my opinion and how I judge my effort, my ability and comparatively, it was comparatively fast or comparatively this or that. Mm -hmm. But I believe I can do stuff in ultra running that maybe other people couldn't have or I bring other stuff to the table that... Um, hasn't been seen yet in the sport with 
whether it's leg speed, heart, um, the ability to not run with much of a governor to begin with, which is a good, a blessing and a curse. Like I think it allows you to do things that your mind would completely limit you from doing mm -hmm. that on paper. It would completely tell you like, this is too fast. This is impossible. And everyone else says that's impossible for me, not having that really enables me to potentially do something special and to challenge the, set, the status quo that way. And I think it's a complete mindset to try to just go get the best out of myself. And that's how I approach it. Um, so there aren't any regrets as far as last year. I think there were mistakes um, as far as course record pace and chasing it. I've also said since then comparing the splits, like I think I ran about 21 minutes faster in the first four miles because I walked the majority of it the year before being my first 100 miler. That set me up to just be under course record pace continuously for like a long time during the day. But in reality, I was losing time on each and every split, mm -hmm. trying to back off, trying to run easier. And I basically came with the conclusion is I don't think I adjusted appropriately in the heat of the moment. And essentially um, the fast tempo to start kind of just carried through the rest yeah. of the day a bit more. And, and I think people can understand that because I think that's not all that different than starting out too fast in a marathon. Totally. It doesn't hurt you at first. It catches up to yeah, you right. later. And, and to Jim's point, he's referenced like, oh, well, the list of times is not like an absolute measure because these conditions oh, are different. 100%. Yeah. And he's referring to last year when he was going for the course record and conditions were different. So to, like, just to be clear about that, for those that maybe aren't yeah. as, uh, informed, like there can be feet, you know, multiple feet of snow in the opening 20 miles. Yeah. Um, as a result, if it's been a really bad winter, they can't uh, do much trail maintenance in the high country ahead of the race. So there'll be, tr there'll be trees just all over the place down, you know, blocking the trail. Um, it can be much hotter some years than other years. So those are all factors that are going to slow you, impede you, or not. And in the case of last year, they were those conditions were pretty significant um, and were made the course pretty darn slow. I'd, so. I'd also interject that um, you comparing it to a marathon also is inaccurate sure. because those variables make it unpredictable. It has to be effort-based. Yeah. It can't be time-based because you're either overestimating or yeah. underestimating at some point. Yeah. And unless I think you're truly running off of effort base and you learn to kind of harness what's right, I think you're not going to get the most out of yourself. Um, also, it's not scientific. So it's yeah. like, what does that mean? And it, what it means for me is what it's different from Eric, but that's what I find is kind of the beautiful part about ultra running is it's not scientifically backed like a 5k or a marathon like how do you draw up you, someone's you, you, training you for can't, it um, you can't recreate those conditions in a lab yeah. on a channel yeah. like you can yeah. for a road marathon right. Right. you saw the breaking two documentary and all sure. the different things they did in a lab that's going to be very it's going to be very difficult to recreate the western states course in a yeah. lab so right? yeah. i mean i think it gets into like there's also road ultra so you run a 50k road which I think is completely redundant and I'm frustrated with a, the idea of a 50k road yeah. race because it's a marathon. Yeah. But um, then there's a 100k road, which is different. Yeah. That one's tricky. Uh, there's something like Comrades that has a bit of hills. It's probably run more like So once you get on the roads and you start taking out the variables, it becomes more like a calculated effort. Yeah. And, and yeah. you start yeah, totally. taking the splits and stuff. But until then, 
all the splits are just a rule of thumb and a guideline and you need to make that decision for yourself out right. there. Well, let me explore um, something you were getting into a second ago, which is, you know, your particular mindset. And I'm sort of fascinated because I've watched um, uh, Unbreakable. So the Western States documentary yep. from a few years ago when I it was... I still haven't seen that. Oh, it's, are you serious? I swear. Oh my gosh. I hear it's, it's great. It's so I hear it's good. Great. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. Did you have to buy it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody gave it to you for free. Did yeah, you buy it? I would feel yeah, like... No, I good. just watched it at a camp. Oh, okay. But, um, but anyway, so uh, Unbreakable um, uh, documents one particular year of Western States... Pardon me, I don't remember the exact 2011? year, but it was the year yeah. that uh, Hal so. was still going Jeff for Rose it. Won. Jeff Rose yeah. won. He came from behind. Yeah, maybe it was um, 2010. Uh, 2010. Yeah. Anton was in the race uh, and, and had the lead. Killian yep. So yeah, Killian you was can't in the race. leave him out. So, so. <laughs> well, Killian brought a lot of global exposure. Yes. That oh yeah. To it, you know, for totally. sure. Um, so anyway, the, the 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 point I'm getting at is. Um, some of those guys that we just mentioned, and and yourself, and a guy like Rob Carr, um, there there's a mindset there with those folks that really fascinates me. And um, I think you've been open, Rob Carr's been open, others have been open about maybe battling a little bit of depression and uh, in your life, and maybe that actually helps your. Um, mindset on race day, you're able to go into, for lack of a better term, a deep, dark place, um, whereas others may not be able to. So I'm interested to see how you think that helps you, but then maybe actually discuss how it, it can be a, a bad thing, like in terms of, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this, but it, it does feel like to me with some of these folks, they're sort of exchanging one vice, you know, because there's people that come from alcoholism or, yeah. or drugs and right. they get into ultra running. And, and that's, a, of course, you think of alcohol and drugs as a vice, but if you get into ultra running in an unhealthy way, that yeah. can be, an, you're just trading it off for another vice. So right. I'm kind of asking two things here, but let's start with just the advantages of, um, you know, ultra running becoming a positive in your life and, and yeah. especially from someone who's dealt with depression? Um, yeah, so for me, I kind of say it was mostly a time in my life that yeah. brought me to a de like my depression. Um, I don't think I quite chronically struggle with depression the way some other guys do. and Like it was more situational? Um, I would say it was yeah. more situational and hopefully a time in my life. I know like I avoid drinking heavily a lot of times because sometimes I can slip back into that mindset and it, it's just not a pretty night and it throws me off for like a while. Yeah. Um, so, but for me, it was the catalyst to say, um, forget what America's pressures are to go get a job, to go back to school, to go be like picture perfect and how like I kind of foresaw my life going and being successful. It was a catalyst to push me to a point of like, I'm going to put something that makes me happy and that I love doing mm -hmm. as a priority in my life. And so that's what kind of boiled it down to me. And my hard time was when I was in the Air Force active duty of just, I didn't do well and things didn't go well for me. And so um, afterwards I decided that Flagstaff was the place that was going to work best for me. Um, I didn't know as much as I do know now about Flagstaff. And if I did, um, I think it would have been hands down the choice, yeah. but I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that I did move to Flagstaff. And um, yeah, for me, uh, it, it was mainly the catalyst that pushed me towards this. And then also um, whether it's self doubt about on the track, like I think for me, I, I didn't really have the mental breakthrough on the track to really have the time breakthroughs. Um, Cause I think a lot of times, you, you got to have some sort of 
break through on the track because I think you get mental barriers sure. in general. And I felt like I got stuck a bit on the track and never really ran to my potential. And it goes back to not defining um, what you can run in 50 miles, 100 miles. And that's a huge thing for me. And I think maybe a big reason why I found success um, is because of the lack of mental barriers of what time to do, what effort to go for. So, but in general, I think um, as a community, depression is pretty common and pretty high. And uh, a lot of people seem to come from some sort of background with that. And for us, I think whether it's exploring, adventuring, being in nature, uh, having goals, um, I think it can help structure your life when you start training mm -hmm. for races. There's a lot of really good positives. So even if it is a vice, I think it brings more positives into your life and how you can structure things and be more goal oriented, which carries over in other parts of your life. And so even though you still might have a vice, I think it in many ways, even if you take it to an excess, which essentially ultra running is, <laughs> yeah. um, I think it still has its benefits that outweigh it's vices. Sure, sure, sure. I think the positives outweigh the negatives. But, um, you know, uh, uh, an offshoot of that question that I wanted to get into was, I don't know, I've heard it referred to as the Strava culture. Yeah. So that <laughs> idea know. that you guys are sort of hooked in a good way, right? Yeah. On, on running, on constantly sort of that endorphin high, if you will, you know, because you're, the running that you do is a lot more adventurous. Truthfully, yeah, right. and like what we do. Sure. I mean, it really is, and I mean, there's a. I mean, and we have our own struggles with the monotony of what we have yeah. to do. Um, but one one of the things that you guys don't have to struggle with necessarily, even though it seems like you do, because you're running 150 miles a week right. sometimes, but it's not monotonous. Right. It's these adventurous runs through the canyon and up yeah. and down the trails, and they're much uh, like your your mind is. A lot freer. Yeah, exactly. exactly, because you're constantly looking so down. So I say the process is very enjoyable. That's right. Absolutely, absolutely. But <laughs> all that to say, there, there still is that um, sort of, at least among the people that I talk to, we look at you guys from the outside and we say, gosh, if they just wouldn't have done that, they wouldn't have gotten hurt and then they'd be fine. But at the same time, as you kind of just alluded to, that's what makes it fun and that what's, that's what makes you good. So right. how do you balance that? How do you balance that like want and need to be adventurous and break barriers, as you say, yeah. with, with your mileage per week, with your vert per week, et cetera, with the, also the knowledge that, hey, this is a positive in my life and I want to do this for a long time. Right. What's the balance? Well, I think I'll, I'll let Eric go on that more because I think he finds a better balance with working with a job doesn't quite do as much mileage as I do but also find success but I would throw out uh, actually between our group um, one of our ways that we find success is actually we don't have a coach yeah none of us are coached so from that in my experience is I overtrained a lot with a coach and I think with a coach there's more pressure on that you put on yourself to do the training plan and to have that perfect buildup. And when I stick only to that perfect buildup, typically I'm not ready to go by the day I want to be. Okay. Where when I'm self-coached, it's like, hey, I'm pretty tired. Like, and it's more just being honest with yourself. I would think it would be the opposite. That's yeah. interesting. No, I, I completely, I've, I've had the problem since high school and okay. I completely, uh, I'm more embarrassed to not to not run the miles prescribed than to say I'm tired. Okay. Um, so I, I would just But you're train famous myself. but to be fair, you're famous for really crazy 
well, crazy is the wrong word, but you're famous for really intense... Let's use crazy. <laughs> I like crazy. Really, uh, really big weeks, really big runs. But I think I find myself with a better balance. Like, I have really big runs, but I think I also have... Like, and then it goes to a trail, it's beautiful because it's not measurable. Yeah. And it goes, you know what? I'm going to go on a new route today. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what I run. Of like, no one can compare that to my last route. So like, sometimes I try to add on just a little bit here or there, even on my usual route, just to throw off the average pace or the overall time. So there's not a, just, you know, every split. And especially if you add something weird on to begin the loop. Yeah. Um, it throws off all the splits and then you're like, that makes it Give me a percentage. How many runs do you do um, with the purpose of, with with measurement in mind, some sort of measurement, either comparing it to how you've done before or comparing it to how someone else has done before, um, uh, how much vert is in the run, etc. And, and, and then give me the percentage of runs that are just pure enjoyment. Um, Not that you don't enjoy the first Yeah, set. percentage is, I mean, so I would say half. Yeah. Half are probably just go out there and just knock out some stuff. For me, I do make weekly goals, which helps keep me on track. So I tend to pick routes that will get me there eventually. Yeah. But then it probably, if I want to fit in a fast A1, I might pick a route that's a little more hilly to begin with so that I have time to go do a harder workout or something else like that. And yeah. For us, the Grand Canyon's a really easy way to just get stat boosters for your whole week <laughs> of training. Um, but in all honesty, there's not pr probably anyone that does something like what we do in the canyon even once a week. And right. we're, we're doing it two, three times a week. But it goes to a bit effort-based. And I think we split up even climbing out of the canyon like every single time because... I mean, mainly because I kind of set the tone with it. But... <laughs> um, but it's I, I'm a big believer of you got to find your own rhythm in the canyon. Yep. If you go too fast, you're gonna blow up. If you go too slow, you can still blow up. And no matter what, it's gonna hurt. So just find your rhythm and get out of the canyon, and we'll all get out faster if everyone just listens to their own pace. I'm gonna skip your answer real quick. Yeah. Because I want I, I don't wanna I don't wanna miss this opportunity to segue into the we. So so Jim's discussing we, and I think you're referring to your group, yeah. right? Which is not coach, but it's it is a group, and there's sort of an informal. Uh, thing going on between you guys, and you called it, but it's becoming more formal. I, I would, I would have to say, called the Coconino Cowboys. Yep. So it's you two, it's Jared Hazen, it's Cody Reed, and it's uh, Tim Fryerix. Right. And um, all from different backgrounds, but all you know, sort of at the high level of the sport, all living in Flagstaff. You, your buddies, I see you hanging out. Uh, it's really, it's really turned into quite a cool brand. You and I talked about this a little bit. We did, and, yeah. And so I'll talk business for a second <laughs> as it relates to Ultra and, and as it relates to what we do. So I'm fascinated and really impressed, quite honestly, with with the brand the Cowboys have been able to create because you seem to have a connection with your fans that is way more personal than I see happening in the track world and the road marathon world. Now, I think, I mean, I'm biased, but I think we try to do the best we can. I think we do better than most groups. But there's something, and I don't know, maybe you guys know, maybe you don't even know. I don't know if it's the adventurousness of, of what you do, or if it's that Strava culture we talked about, yeah. or why is it that your, your connection seems to be so deep with your fans? That's some good well, reasons, but you shoot up. Well, here's, here's like one anecdote yeah. to that. So look at the sorts of 
races, right? The NAZ Elite uh, athletes are running. Yeah. So, so, you know, the mile to the marathon, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, all on the road. Um, they're all typically really big, mm -hmm. right? Races. So interaction, you know, the, the elite corrals are sanctioned off. Like the, there are relevant differences. You put on a pedestal a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in our sport, the events are much smaller. Like you enter, like you'll you be standing fight in the, start, for the yeah. starting line. Just he, like, like no, everybody yeah, else. exactly. Okay. Nobody's Someone like, else is just like, I want to be in the starting line photo. I'm like, no, Jim, I'm trying like, to win not today. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. so th that's a big difference. And just by way of example, there was a local, uh, trail race here last weekend big pine over in fort tudhill you know there's a 13 there's a 6k a 13k a 27k a 54k so up to 54k but uh for events even even as short as the 13k there's an aid station um and there's aid station at and you stop road, right? at the aid station well but here's yeah. the, so three uh, well three, not, three not, about, not something that short well right but my my the reason i'm bringing this up is uh jared and cody and me we were all at the aid station for five hours yeah you know yeah, yeah. and we were just hanging out people come through we fill their water we talk to them um you just the, the interaction is much more intimate i think in our sport than you find in okay. in in the uh, you know the the road events you know marathon down to the mile i i think that's a huge difference um i would say that there's a bigger disconnect with track and road runners in the fact that how elite and the times you guys are running are just unfathomable and people don't understand like understand completely sometimes how fast that really is yeah. like it's incredible and to get to that point it's not typically going to be your college kid or your kid 23 24 just out of college it's going to take until you're in your upper 20s before you really start continually mixing it up year after year at the top and you're not getting as many people as a bigger community probably doing track races. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an elite or younger sport. Mm -hmm. So if you're not good enough to do it post-collegiately, that's kind of the end yeah, of your career, yeah. unless you move to the roads. Um, the roads are pretty open, but again, you're corralled. You have your own like little bubble you're taken care of. You're put up in the hotel. Yeah. Us, we come in ultra running. There's more like, I might put up a tent at a race like especially when I first started I'd put up a tent next to a, a race for, at a starting line and like I'd be camping it out with everybody else and like yeah, right yeah. like hey That's can true. I like just come warm up by your fire because it's like 4 30 a.m I gotta drink this coffee and the race starts <laughs> in an hour and a half and <laughs> yeah and like there's memories of me getting in a sport that way and um I think there's more relation as well because you see the the elites in our sport suffer a lot more yep. elites right. in track and road running yep. typically yep. are so good that it's like especially on their best days and the ones crossing the line first looks painless they don't look like yeah, it looks they are they don't look and like then exactly. the amount of work that yeah. they put in to do that is just incredible and people don't see the grind day to day yeah um ours uh whether you win or not you see the suffering and there's a common bond see that way like um it. yeah like I might, I might I, quote that and, and, you know, that'll be the... You see the suffering. Yeah, you see yeah. the suffering. Um, so, yeah, I think... Yeah, well, it, 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 it humanizes. It, no, uh, it, it makes total I sense. Think. Well, and I'll give... Uh, I'll, you know, I'm not just... I'm not just saying that without tangible evidence of it being true. Uh, right. Explain um, the, the what just happened with Squirrels Nut Butter yeah. uh, and the, the special promotion they did with you guys. And this is not a set-up clip. I no, mean, no, I really yeah. think this is a cool story. Well, yeah, so, like, we have... Um, 
we have companies that want to do collaborations with us. Yeah. Like that, how cool, like that's super rad. But um, so, so I think companies see more opportunity with a group like us in a sport like ours. Um, it's beca- niche, because it's niche, of that, so they have such a direct, yeah, uh, such a direct opportunity sort of. to, yep. to talk to so, people. Right, yeah. yeah. So by way of example, we have these coconino cowboy socks yes. if you're listening to this you don't you don't actually see them but they're pretty cool um so that was a collaboration that jim got started with drymax which is his his sock sponsor and a couple the actually the other three guys on the team i'm not with drymax but um they did a collaboration there with them which is which is pretty awesome it's got our our logo on on the sock um it's got the kind of the arizona flag is the idea there with the the rest so of they it. actually designed this. Yeah, yeah, like, it's cool and for us, and we're yeah. just like that looks rad. Uh, and do something. And we didn't actually know initially that they were selling it, but they're available. I think online you got to buy them in a three pack, and then if you want to buy them solo, you got to go out to uh, Tahoe and buy them at Alpenglow. Oh yeah. This week. Yeah. So. so. But, but, but then the yeah. point is they're selling. Yeah, yeah, People, yeah, totally. And see, that's and then, the whole thing with with sponsorship, right? It's it, it, it's ultimately. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of the athletes don't get this, but they think, oh, well, I ran fast, so I should get sponsored. No, 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 no. Right. It's, can you sell product? Yeah. And you guys are proving well, that you can sell product. Well, and it's a little bit of both. I didn't I even think, know this but... when I first started, though, but if you want to talk to a company, you ask for who's in charge of marketing. Yes. <laughs> you fall under marketing as an That's athlete. Right. You're right. You're a tool to market product yep to sell and, and i don't mean you sell the product sure the onus is on the company to sell the product but you sell it indirectly in the sense that yep. people people like this brand yeah this they is can a invest, strong brand they yeah. can invest in us or yep. a brand instead of putting up a billboard right that's right, right. that's and right it, and, and i think the money is i mean when you understand how much money it costs to you know take out a full page ad in runner's world then it starts to make total sense yep. to spend x number of dollars uh producing this product and getting it on people's feet, or in the case of Squirrel's Nut Butter, you know, getting that product in people's hands because that's ultimately better marketing. Yeah, it's way it more is. direct, way yep. more personal. Yep, yep. They're wearing it or they're using right. it. They're using it, right. Yeah, so we had a special edition stick with Squirrel's Nut Butter. That's who you're referring to there, where we actually all signed anti-chafing the product. Yeah, of course, right, Squirrel's Nut Butter. Yeah, the, a lot of this audience probably is less familiar. Yeah, Squirrel's Nut Butter is an anti-chafe product that uh, is largely in the ultra-running trail market, but... Um, Your alternative to body glide exactly much say much much i know but if they if you know what body glide is yeah yeah this is an improved version of body glide. that's right that's made Uh, in flagstaff there you go i like that but yeah it was the same thing where it's like um we know the owner he he wants to help support us and help us out um he's like hey what can we do and we just brainstormed came up with uh with the idea of doing a special but, and you stick. guys the cowboys each signed this yeah. particular special edition stick every single sold one. it for how much money they're 19.99 20, how, how much and is that what a stick normally costs 16.90 so it's just 95. slightly more, more yeah with all the signatures you made how many of them uh well that's actually still to be determined there's at least 500 though there's at least 500 yeah. how many did you sell on day one like 250 in the first couple days that's yeah. really amazing yeah i mean that's really amazing i, I don't i don't know I, I would never use a name but i don't know i think there's pretty big stars in the track and field world that could sign something and not sell that money <laughs> really i really that's do crazy. yeah i really do that's uh that's but like cool. you said it's, that's that, it's cool. that connection that, yeah. that we just seem to have so yeah no that's very cool um what wh- how are we doing on time we're good we're, we got to the 15 minutes great yeah. great well i think you guys have touched on a couple of things that I want to come back to. And so I'll come back to, um, I'll come back to Jim on talking about 
his career and deciding not to continue on the track. And I think one thing we didn't uh, dive into was just how good Jim was. I mean, he's good. He was really good. Footlocker finalist in high school, um, you know, sub-14 guy on the track, 29 flat guy on the track um, for Air Force. And it's not easy to train when you're at the Air Force Academy. So those are really good times. Um, and so certainly those kind of times are the same type of people that do try to run post-collegially on the track or in that like 10K half marathon, maybe marathon on the road world. Um, and yet he chose to go into ultra running. Uh, but I think one thing you see come up on the message boards, I guess, if you would call it, or the, um, or the Twitter or whatever is like people trying to, cause I think, I think there are people in the ultra world that of course came from the shorter distance world. And there are people in the shorter distance world that are starting to understand ultra and follow it. So there's this like crossover happening. Yeah. So inevitably the questions arise, well, what could Jim do if he ran a marathon? What could Killian do if he ran a marathon? Um, so and I've heard people ask you this before, but now as we sit here today, you know, where do you stand on that? I mean, do you think now with all this ultra running, it would be difficult to go back and try that? Or do you think actually you could do very, very well in a road marathon? Um, could I start real quick? Yeah, yeah you start. Let, I'm, I'm going to just... So, Nick Arseniaga yeah. was, was planning to run the North Face 50 mile. 11 marathon times five, I yes. think. Yes, and so four. Runner's World, there's somewhere, I forget, competitor, uh, well, I guess... Anyways, which, whatever publication said, oh, ultra running is going to get its first 211 marathoner. And like a couple of us, at least around here, that are friends with Jim just kind of laughed and we we're like, we, there's already a 211 marathoner running ultras. Like Jim could run a, a two, like that's what a 211 talent gets you on the sure. trail. In addition to some other things, like it's already happening. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I can definitely see how that world would be offended by just the assumption right, right, that just right. because so-and-so had run 211 or a 102 or whatever in the half, that they could just go and just mop up the field. And exactly. I've seen it happen before. Again, like a guy like Mike Aish, who I was like yep. a huge fan of in college. He's 213 yep. guy. I, th I think he tried it maybe a little a little later in his yeah, career. Right, I think right. that he had tried it maybe a little earlier. But, but you know, there was just this assumption that he would win yeah. everything. And yep. it didn't happen. No, Because it it's a different, I mean, it's a different skill set and it also takes time to learn. Uh, but I, I think that's what you're but, getting at. And I think that's another reason people uh, are so interested in Jim is he seems to be someone who could do both. Yeah. And, and I think that's super rare. Like yeah. to, I, I don't, to be dominant in ultra running yeah. and potentially to be able to do something like a 211. Well, it's, 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 and it's, uh, I want to get to Jim's answer, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, yes. but, uh, but it's not on, it's not unlike, you know, the marathon world, the road marathon world where there's no guarantee that just because you were good at the mile and the five and the 10, that you're going to dominate gonna the, the marathon. Jared Ward, you know, as he would tell you, he's gonna get his butt kicked in the mile, the five k, yep. the ten k, and guess what? He was six. He was sixth in the Olympics. Yeah, it's in the butt kick. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so like, you know, when you have races, the farther you go up in distance, the more, um, the more specialized things yeah. are, yeah. and the more rare it is to see someone that can run across exactly. the board. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. But anyway, take so it away, my James. short answer would be, uh, we might see. Yeah. Um, so. We'll see a couple things, I guess. One, how difficult or naturally uh, to shift down will be. Yeah. Um, so over the next two years, I want to focus a little more on some road ultra uh, records and comrades, which I think requires a bit different training than what I'm currently doing. Um, I'm a little worried about it because I think 
my history with the repetitive stuff on flat, um, it could set me up for overusage injury. So that's something I'll really have to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. But um, personally, I want to plan on running the Olympic trials and the marathon as my debut uh, marathon, which is kind of skewed in a bit because I've got a lot of experience running further than that and dealing with a lot of the problems that the marathon could present to someone coming up in distance. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. I want to qualify for the marathon and make it my debut by going through the half marathon, um, which opens up later this year. Yeah. And then uh, we'll see if that comes easy or not. Um, for me and kind of how my career's progressed, I also look at it as, is this worth my time to really do? Yeah. Um, I found a very good niche that I'm good at, and it's not necessarily worth it for me to go backwards. But in my mind, if I could really nail something special, it's only going to live to be even bigger. Yeah. Um, so I look at it as that's something that really excites me of on paper. People say that's impossible. People say you can't do that. So that goes to run without that governor and go find out chances are probably not going to do anything too exciting in the marathon um but i also go back and forth so the marathon's another event that you get defined by your time yeah everyone knows the marathon time that's your marathon like that's who you are as a marathoner period you're not faster you're not slower that's your time and now it almost makes me want to almost even skip the marathon at the u.s trials if i go look if I don't have a shot at taking top three, I'm probably more worth my time to try to go run that 211 marathon right. on a flat course that's actually fast. And now I'm at least a fast marathoner, where if I hop in the trials and say third place could be 214 in Atlanta, if it, like depending on the conditions, it could be just really unique um or you look at boston this last year the oh. times were way off and you kind of look at the the Don't runners that ben, ben still have a nightmare i mean <laughs> a, a they're so still they're still boston champs and b um i think it's kind of that marathon was really appreciated i think in the ultra world of just yeah. it shows that grit that yeah. maybe you might have to find to yeah. have success in an ultra well i think but you might have the same thought when he was talking but like i think that would that would favor you if if it's hot in well and i would i would also oh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So and i would also you, you say there's a measurable aspect though to say at the trials like i i i was digging what you were saying because i'm thinking to myself yeah but at the trials whether you finish the top three or fifth or sixth or eighth or 20th at least there's a measurable aspect like i would because everybody runs it yeah right so it's it, even more so than westerns where yeah a lot of top people run it but they have other choices sure everybody will run the That's trials true. so whatever place you get you can say i came from the ultra world and i'm yeah. the ninth best third best fifth best second best first best marathoner yeah so that, a that's a good aspect. point so yeah. that's a good i'm not uh, trying to talk you into it yeah, yeah, yeah. no <laughs> i mean right now it's it's mainly i probably only I see myself would, I, yeah I just think training for like one marathon yeah. i i only see myself training for one marathon in my yeah. career yeah and it's where do i want to use that one chance um where the other chances are going to be or even if i did run a marathon i might do one as a comrades build up or even the trials is going to be part of a bigger picture yeah towards comrades in a downhill year yeah. two years from now where next year i think it plays to my advantage coming from a trail background having a bit more strength uh built in because it's going to be an uphill year um so it's all fast though and it's all rolly so we'll, yeah. we'll see well i i certainly know that you're you're 
background on the track and your background in the longer stuff now could yield this time, but I'm sure there are some people listening thinking, well, does he think he's just going to knock out a sub sub 104 half? No problem. Oh, it's 104 I think, now. I, I think it's 104. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to run 103 something. I think I can run faster than one. Than even, I think realistically I could run 102. Yeah. 101's probably stretch. Uh, no, it's more than a stretch. I'm probably not going to run 101. And even yeah. if I, did try to run one, I'm not gonna go for that pace, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, and you don't need to be to have a good marathon. Yeah. So I think it would be good to run something not just under 64, but um, I'm also planning on probably at least two attempts on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, don't, I don't think uh, the first get one's necessarily up. gonna get it unless things, it just depends how things come back or don't come back. And then yeah. it could be um, a situation where some guys that have ran consistent uh, Olympic trials qualifiers, all of a sudden they're just, they, they might've moved on to something else for a little bit and they come back and it's just not coming back right. the same. Like, it just, yeah, maybe not, but you don't necessarily need a 64 speed to do something like comrades or the American record in the 50 mile or hundred K yeah. or a world record in the hundred K right now, I think is still vulnerable. So, um, as far as my career, especially the half marathons, like no risk. Yeah. Um, I'm not really interested in running a two or two eighteen to yeah. qualify for the trials, I'll probably just take a pass. Cause if I can't qualify in the half, I don't think I'll be competitive enough where I'll be happy with yep. in the marathon. And sense. I can, I can focus my time and energy and training on races that are going to be more impactful to my career. Yeah. Um, is there any sort of chip on your shoulder left over or, or desire to somehow prove yourself to that world? I feel like I'm a representative for the ultra world. I think uh, in general we get picked on as slow runners, people that go slog it out, people that eat pizzas in their race, <laughs> this and that, um, which it is an eating contest and that's a really good skill to have. Yeah, but um, it, I think a lot of times, depending on your background, the people that are talking smack and even especially maybe college kids, like I, I was that, I, I say now, like be careful what event you talk smack on because yeah. I used to talk trash to the steeplers on the team and then the 10K guys, and I became both of them by the end of college just to try to get to NCAAs yeah. my senior year. And then the whole while, you just you don't even like take the low blows at the ultra runners because you're like, that's too easy. Uh, you see well, these fruit. barefoot guys running through the mountains in Leadville area, and you're just like, you're kidding me, right? Yeah. Like, you can't take yourself seriously. But there's a whole just mindset to it, and it just goes to learning how to deal with grit and um, harnessing that and there's other attributes to be a successful ultra runner in a lot of ways. I think you can take that 62 minute half marathoner and find the niche races and just run away with a lot. Yeah. Um, I think you find that sort of speed in the Xterra. I mean, Joe Gray, uh, yeah. Yeah, newly sure. Hoka guy, um, is kind of like oh, yeah. the epitome of that niche um and you see guys like annie wacker pat Smythe, yeah. that have had real good success with that leg speed but they kind of stay in that niche um i think like marathoning it takes a bit of a further commitment to extend it um even further in the ultras yeah. of you're not specializing in the half marathon you're you got to commit to the marathon. You can't be that 10K guy that's going to still crush the marathon. It's typically one or the other. Yeah. Well, I'll ask you then, Eric. Uh, that's a good segue into this. You know, when he mentioned Pat and Joe and Andy. Uh, 
you're still pretty connected, especially living in Flagstaff, uh, with the road marathon world and you follow it to an extent, you yep. have these podcasts. Is there anybody right now in the U.S. scene on in the road marathon, um, top road marathoner that you think could move up like Jim did and become a good ultra runner? Oh yeah, right. Um, yeah, I think the short answer is yes. I think your your favorite race from recently is a really good indicator, 2018 Boston. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about this with someone recently another ultra runner we were like oh desi would crush it like okay. she, she she'd be a great ultra runner like yeah, yeah. those conditions like running what she won by five minutes because obviously she handled the fueling yep yep, yep. you know and well there's that you had variables you had a conditions, bunch of different variables, variables. So she yep. handled it mentally but also physically exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. and yuki that that was no oh, question Yuki's no question you're right even before boston yeah but he would obviously and you know wait what is, is his best 211 what's his best no sub 210 Oh, he's been yeah, sub two ten. Like Dang, Dang. Um, that's that, insane. I would like so my hundred k race that I want to go after a fast time. One of them, one of the places I want to do is Lake Saroma, okay. which is Japan. Okay. And um, UV Yuki. Yeah, I would love to uh, that would be go against Yuki. This is making this podcast so great. That that would be my <laughs> my yeah. preference because he just after Boston he ran like a seventy something k. Yeah. Um, yeah, seventy three k. It, it was you're in it wasn't it wasn't out of this world by any means yeah. i would say but um shows an interest of like you want to run 20 something more k yeah. and line up and lake saroma is one of the like classic japanese races that uh they throw down awesome 100k times every it's like on the road. world leading yep. i think okay. it's on the road okay. I, I honestly don't sure. know much about it I, I right now I've, I've got other they're usually pretty line, road oriented yeah 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 i'm pretty yeah. sure it's on the road yeah okay that is cool. Well, let's push for it. Let's try to make yeah, it happen. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I have one last question uh, because I think, I mean, I'm kind of required to ask this since we're less than two <laughs> weeks out. Uh, what plans can we share about Western states, uh, if any, uh, in terms of race strategy um, for next next weekend? Go for it. Well, it's my first 100-mile race, yeah. but I, I think that uh, I think a lot of people, at least at, at the higher level of the sport, who find themselves at a 100-mile race for the first time are typically younger than I am or have less experience. So I don't, I don't, I'm not too intimidated by the fact that it's my first one, but yeah. still. Because your farthest mile. race is? 100K, okay. 62 miles, but like you got to make the jump from somewhere. Because there's nothing really in between, Yeah, typically. like you're jumping from 50 miles or 100K, more yeah. or less. Yeah. And the difference between those two is uh, marginal. Like there's a difference, but it's not too significant. It seems different to me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a little different. It's a it's a little different, but yeah. like not yeah. In any case, um, yeah, I think like you got to worry about. So I sat down with uh, Rob Carr recently. Great. Who who has won? Who another Flagstaff guy? And he he's won Western States twice. And uh, I will share one piece of information that he he shared with me that I thought was very useful. And he said, when I ran that race, um, I was asking myself as the race progressed, especially early on, um, when I had to make decisions about, do I stay with this person now? Do I kind of let them go? Like, do I take this downhill a little harder? Do I tone it back? Every time he asked himself one of those questions, he said, I was asking it from two different perspectives. Will, will this allow me physically later in the race to run well? And will this allow me mentally later in the race to run well? Um, so he sort of like, a little bit changed my view about like what to think about but his point was like all the physical challenges you're going to face over 100 miles 
the mental ones are going to be every bit as important. Interesting. So you need to ask yourself, like, what's going to put you in a place mentally? You know, the last third of the course is the most runnable. What's going to put you in a place mentally at mile 70 to be able to still be running hard? Um, so that doesn't really tell you. Uh, no, that's interesting. Yeah, like the, it's it's more abstract or broad, I guess, in terms yeah. of race strategy. But I think uh, you could take a lot away from that. Well, and and I guess I'll I'll ask and follow up. Um, you know, oftentimes when we run, for example, a cross country race, mm-hmm. I have a similar line of okay. thought, yep. which is, hey, let's answer these questions before the race ever even starts. And the answer always being yes, you know, <laughs> right. because it's only 10K cross country. Yes, sure. And so, you know, am I going to hit this turn hard? Yes. Am I going to go if somebody goes? Yes. Am I going to hit the downhills hard? Yes. Am yep. I going to pop up the uphills hard? Yes. It's always yes. Yeah. But in the ultra, it, it, can it be, I'm going to say no yeah. until X point, And then I'm going to say yes. Is it something you can even do beforehand or do you have to That's trust yourself? Definitely during? the tried and true, uh, old school strategy. Sure. Right that, say, that would, that would be the no, strategy. No, no. Yep. I would probably try to make it more to just the yeses. Yeah. Of course you're going to go with the pack. Of course you're going to make the move. Um, and that's how I see the sport going as it gets deeper and more competitive. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I've done the yeses <laughs> and sometimes it comes back to, well, maybe that should have been a no. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there, it is Maybe long enough to bite you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a long enough race that I think sometimes you, you, you've got to say no. Um, if you're going to get the most out of yourself. Because remember, the question is, you know, how fast can I get from mile zero to mile 100? Yeah. Mile 100. Yeah. It's not how fast can I get from mile zero to mile 3.1. Yeah. Those are just very, very different oh, yeah. things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's an interesting um perspective or anecdote that you just brought in because yeah you're always saying yes to more speed yes 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 but yeah i think over 100 miles you've got to know when to say no i think the the races won or lost um based on um an aggregate of very very small decisions um and if you answer them right uh i think you've got a chance and if you don't you don't um some people have more margin for error like jim but uh you know at some point it'll it'll get you Okay, how can they follow you guys next uh, next weekend? Whew. It's a 15-plus um, hour race. So yeah. I, think, I think the best way to follow us and support us would probably be through Coconino Cowboys on Instagram and Twitter. I think uh, our guy Mike Hermsmeyer is going to be on that during race day okay. and with really timely updates with photos and stuff. He's really good about that. There's also a live feed on I Run Far on Twitter is typically how That's most how people, I followed in the past. Most people yeah, yeah. follow it that way. If you want photos and stuff about us personally, right. you'll probably get a more biased media from <laughs> yeah. Coconino Cowboys yep. with real-time updates and okay. stuff. But more field, broader, less biased reporting, I Run Far does really great at Western yep. States. And, and it's fun because you can you can go out for a dinner and you can just check your Twitter every now and then. Yep. You can you can go run some errands. Look, we're running all day. So <laughs> just do your normal and, day and check yeah. in every now and then and yeah. we're, we're still going. And then uh, certainly for like the, the track and road folks who probably may already follow, but Sidious Mag, um, Stephen yeah. Kirsch is oh, going to be out there. They'll be cool. out there. Um, yeah. cool. I believe he will be doing live... Uh, updates yeah. as well so that'd be really cool because it goes to, again to bridging that yep gap to just a more unified probably yeah sport where it's the same in my mind it's the same sport but different communities yeah and i think uh with my background a lot i feel like i can help 
talk both ways. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be really cool to just have a bigger sport. I think everyone's better off if yeah. if everyone in ultra running is track fans and everyone in track are ultra fans up all the way through the distance. I think we're all going to be better for it. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, ben, I think we have a few Twitter questions before we finish. Oh, oh. New, um, new things from Twitter. I'm sorry. I was ready to wrap up. It was going to well, be a we're, great we're, climax there, but I'll, I'll we'll ask you for a minute. We'll okay. Uh, let's see. If um, it, it, I'm sorry. What is this name? Oh, Turtle. If Turtle Miller were to give you a three-beer lead at the Silverton Beer Mile, could you beat him? I don't know who that's for. I think this for. is to Jim. Okay. I think this is to me. Um, oh, yeah, that's for Jim. That's for Jim. That means I'd probably have about seven to eight minutes at <laughs> 9,300 feet to get one beer and one lap done. It would be close. <laughs> would All right, close. fair enough. For Eric, where do you buy your cowboy hats? Ooh. Um, you know, most of mine have been gifted to me. Uh... I, I don't know that I've ever I've made maybe aren't one you, purchase. Aren't you something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. And the other one we already answered. So that's it. Uh, really appreciate you guys joining. That was cool. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I wish you the best of luck um, next weekend in um, at Western States. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. We'll miss you, Ben. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank it. you. Yeah, I wish you could be there. Thanks, Thanks. Jim. All right.